This is the Shenandoah Down Under podcast. In the final days of the American Civil War, the CSS Shenandoah set out on an epic year-long secret mission. Join your Australian hosts, Robert Love and Michael O'Brien, as they follow the last Confederate cruiser on its quest to find and sink the Yankee whaling fleet, wherever on the high sea they may find them. And hello, and this is Shenandoah Down Under, or Confederate Pirate Save the Whales, with Rob and Mob, Robert Love and Michael O'Brien. I'm Rob. And I'm Mob. Good morning, Rob. Good morning. Uh, as we say, good afternoon, good evening, good midnight, wherever you may happen to be uh, around the world. I, I have to say, Michael, what an exciting couple of weeks it has been for the crew of the Shenandoah 150 years ago. The last couple of weeks, whatever the, whatever the term is. They're, they're up in uh, close to the Arctic Circle yes. and they're looking for whalers. Last week, they didn't find any whalers, but they certainly found some ice. Well, look, 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 let, let's recap a couple of weeks. So they had a, they had a great victory uh, two weeks ago today where they, they took the whaling ship Abigail and they denied the Yankees in the Okhot Sea crucial military supplies of alcohol. In fact, I think way more booze was on that ship than whale oil, wasn't it? Uh, that, that, that was correct. So, the um, yes, the, the, the local Yankee whalers are going to have to do without their booze. Uh, the local Inuit are going to have to do without their booze. And quite possibly, you know, political prisoners in Siberia will be looking longingly at the horizon and, and seeing nothing. Yes, I guess the other problem for the Shenandoah is they also look longingly at the horizon over the last couple of weeks and they've only seen the Abigail, they, they, haven't they? They've only seen the Abigail. Now, again, uh, also plus lo- a lot of ice. Plus, well, uh, now, now that was the other thing, of course, that uh, last week, uh, 150 years ago today, um, they got into the to the pack ice and um, and very, very nearly got stuck. So they yeah. um, managed to get into a very small uh, clearing of, uh, of, of water, Forty foot wide, I think it was. Forty foot wide. I, I don't myself particularly understand how you turn around a seventy metre boat in in forty feet of water, but obviously they did. Um, so they managed to get out of that, and it was was all very exciting. But so Captain Waddell then held a council of war with his officers, and and what did they decide to do, Michael? Well. Even though the original plan was to come up here to the Sea of Okhotsk and uh, destroy the Yankee whaling fleet, because the sea is full of ice and they really can't go through the uh, sea in the ship that they're in, they decide that maybe they'll find whalers elsewhere. Yes, so they, 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 they bravely decided to, to run away. Essentially so. Uh, Whittle, the first officer, in his uh, journal, the memorable cruise, which I am now riffing at the microphone in the traditional manner, uh, he had a plan where maybe he could be put in command of another whaler if they caught one and uh, go off and do his own depredations. But that doesn't seem to have flown. Well, now, now, now of course, the thing is that um, if, if Whittle had been put in command of a whaler, um, then they could, in fact, presumably have pushed through to um, deep into the Sea of Okhots. I, I did hope after last week that I'd never have to say Sea of Okhots again, but it appears that that's not it, the it's case. It's going to come up a few times. Now, 
Now, um, despite the fact that, um, um, again, we, we mentioned last week that unaccountably they, they did not invite Midshipman Mason to this Council of War, which, which is a shame, because clearly he's the, the clearest-headed um, you know, commanding officer, potential commanding officer around. But um, so, uh, so Midshipman uh, Mason was, was not particularly pleased by this. So, um, so, so to quote... From, does he express his vexation? He, he does express his vexation, indeed. So, so to quote from uh, Midshipman Mason, um, journal on uh, Sunday, June the 11th, uh, 1865. Um, this time last week, we were in the vicinity of the ice, cold, disagreeable weather. Today is bright, warm and sunny, thermometer up to 44 degrees Fahrenheit, a nice little breeze and sail all set. We are steering for the straits that lead out of the Okhot Sea, and I much regret to say that there is every reason to believe that we will go right out. Since entering the sea three weeks ago, we have made but one capture, the old Abigail, and now we are going to leave it without another effort. It is true that we got into the ice on two occasions, but that was on account of the fog. Now, I think saying that was on account of the (laughs) fog, that's like saying about the Titanic. Well, you know, it it wouldn't have run into the iceberg on account, except for the fog. And, and, excuse me, excuse me, Michael, but... Fog iceberg, fog iceberg, aren't they kind of the same colour? The same colour, yes. I have to say, I am rather with Captain Waddell on that, in that I I think sailing your your precious ship into fog with ice around would would have to be among the the least fun things ever. Yeah, particularly when you're going into a place you've never been before as well. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and you're off the coast of Siberia, and the only people anywhere in the vicinity uh, are your enemies. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the the dense fog actually does continue as they sail out again. Yep. And uh, Whittle actually describes that there are whales swimming around the ship. So there's certainly uh, oh. the things that the whalers are after. Oh, no, no, no. I'm sorry. We're, 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 I'm not going to say if the movie about the Shenandoah is made. When the movie about the Shenandoah is made, I, I think this will be a magnificent, huge pod of whales in their hundreds. A CGI heaven. CGI heaven that breach magnificently. Well, and, that, that, uh, that's very interesting you say that because a couple of days later when the fog clears for a bit, off in the distance they get very excited because they think they can see a whole lot of sails. They think it's the Yankee whaling fleet. Oh, let but me guess. Know, it, it they're, they're not sails, they're whales. They're not sails, they're spouts of whales. There are so many whales up there at this time that you could confuse spouts for a, a whaling fleet. You know, that, 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 I think it's rather ironic that somebody hunting whalers confu- confuses um, whales with whalers. <laughs> um, I think that's... Um... So they, they, had a, they had a problem that uh, it's still quite foggy. Um, and they've got to take themselves through uh, a strait. And um, no, no, no. Just before we get to that, Michael, so, yeah. so just, just to keep continuity, um, uh, again, I might, um, uh, again, uh, we haven't really got to Mr. Midshipman Mason's vexation. So, oh, uh, if there's so, more vexation, please, There is vexation. Um, it appears that most, if not all, of the whaling ships are now in the vicinity of St. Jonah Island in the northwestern part of the sea. 
Now, we have not been within 200 miles of this island. When we first got into the ice, we were heading for this place, but since then we have not made another attempt. Although it is not for me to judge the captain's actions, um, excuse me, I actually agree, no, Midshipman Mason, it is not for you to judge the captain's actions. I cannot help expressing my opinion very decidedly in this instance, and mine is the same as that of most of the other officers. The grand object of this cruise was the destruction of the American Yankee whaling fleet. The vessel was sent to go out direct to the Okot Sea and destroy Yankee whalers, so that the ships we have captured en route are so much over and above what was expected of us and might be called works of super ogation. It is a known fact that some years before the war there were between 150 and 200 ships up here every season. And they basically, they've, they've, they've let them go and they've gone out of the Okot Sea. Well, if you remember last week when, the, Abigail. when they had this discussion, uh, for once, both Captain Waddell and First Officer Whittle were in complete agreement. We're getting, uh, we're hightailing it out of this sea because of the ice. But it does make it clear, I think, exactly why um, Waddell decided to have his, his council of war because clearly in, in his orders it did say explicitly go to the Okot Sea, and um, they are explicitly uh, turning around. Not doing so, yes. Not doing so, yeah. So uh, they decide, in fact, that the whalers are more likely to be uh, in the Bering Sea. And that is a long way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But is, is that they're deciding that, in fact, in, in the way that a drunk decides that his keys are under the lamppost because it's, it's, it's easier yeah, to... Yeah, it, it could be. I mean, there are... They, they have captured uh, the Abigail, which has yep. whalers on board it, and maybe they're telling them this. Um, they're, they're actively trying to recruit uh, some of the prisoners from the Abigail. Mm, mm. Um, I think probably the easiest way to do that would be to stop their grog. <laughs> <laughs> um, Whittle describes uh, the captain of the Abigail is telling all of um, the crew that had been captured not to ship as Shenandoah crew, because he says they'll be hanged as pirates. Whittle, when he hears of this, actually threatens to put him in irons if he keeps keeps saying such. Oh, look, I, I think he should have threatened to make him walk the plank. Yeah. <laughs> so some of them do actually sign on. Um, the captain of the Abigail calls them his Dagos, which is uh, a fairly... Fairly unpleasant term to describe them. Uh, Whittle, I believe, calls them Kanakas. But they're, in fact, Sandwich Islanders, which makes them Hawaiians. Okay, yes, yes. And uh, they've, all, they've all served on whalers before. He makes a brief note about their uh, comical names, but I think Mr Mason goes into a bit more detail, um, doesn't well, he? Mr Mason does, um, does go into a bit more detail. And um, so, okay, so the, the other nine... Um, so they recruited 12 men, um, an Englishman, a Prussian, and a Portuguese, Portuguese as, he, as he calls them, which, mm-hmm. which sounds like the start of a joke, doesn't it? It does. Um, Walk into a bar on the Abigail. Okay, so um, the other nine are Kanakas. Um, they have very amusing names which have been given to them by the officers of their ship, such as Jim California, Cyrus Sailor, John Boy, William Bill, and the like. Um, it may be well to mention that these men are more civilised and less thinly clad than those I described together with their costume at Ascension Island. Um, now, 
Oh, this is a, a very interesting, uh, very interesting comment here. These poor devils who have never been on any other ship than a Yankee whaler, where they are hard worked, maltreated, poorly fed, and worse paid, seem to think this a sort of paradise. Grog twice a day, coffee four times, and tea once. And watch and watch in the day instead of working all day and keeping watch and watch all night at night, as they are bound to do in a whaler, and then are likely to hear the unwelcome cry of all hands reef topsails at night, something which is never necessary here with our patent reefing arrangements where one man can do it alone at a pinch. Hmm. Well, this is this is very very bizarre, isn't it? Because we now have. A ship that is fighting to preserve the cause of slavery is recruiting Kanakas or Sandwich Islanders or Hawaiians, however they are described. Yes. Who see this ship as a paradise where they're being well, treated uh, fairly. No, no, sorry. Uh, the, the officers, the pro slavery officers of this ship, say that the, the Sandwich Islands are. Without any uh, corroborating diaries from the Sandwich Islanders, I think we, uh, we you know. But uh, I guess um, I mean, one of the things was that, that Mason has made the comment that, or it's shortly to make the comment that the Shenandoah is a wet ship. So quite possibly the captain of the Abigail was um, rather parsimonious with his grog, with his own crew. But now that this has been liberated, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it might be quite enjoyable to be a crew member on the ship. My understanding is the term wet ship means that a lot of ship uh, water ships in uh, between the boards, no, no. as opposed to booze. But uh, no, 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 no. Remember this. Sorry, this, this is this is a quotation from uh, Mason, which I'll go into in greater detail, where he he goes into both meanings and basically he implies that the Shenandoah <laughs> is is a wet ship in both in, in both, both ways. meanings of the word. Yes. Well, yes. Whittle describes the uh, Kanakas or Sandwich Islanders as a poor-looking set, but can haul on ropes. Yeah, yeah. No, no, look, should, should, should just point out that, that we are quoting the original sources here. I'm, 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 I'm not sure if, if Kanakas is derogatory. Um, yeah. Well, I think it is. We we would call them Hawaiians yeah, today, of course. Yeah. But I, I'm, I'm saying what was in the uh, the original sources. Um, what that actually means is by June the 13th, when uh, they sign on the Prussian and the two Frenchmen that had earlier decided not to re-sign change their minds. Oh, so, so, so the two Frenchmen basically take a took a month without pay. Yes. And then decided to come back and, uh, and, well, and re-enlist. If you recall, they were going to um, get off at the next European port, and I think they've decided there's no European port in sight. Or, or, or indeed within probably 15,000 miles. Yes. So what that makes for is actually 110 crew now. So if you remember when they left uh, Melbourne and they had the stowaways come on board, they had 42 stowaways, so that got them up to about 70. Now they've got 110 crew plus officers, which is enough for them to have four gun crews. Not that they can actually fire the guns, but they've now got four gun crews. Well, it, it also means, again, like um, uh, Mason is saying about the the, um, the, the Sandwich Islands, the Hawaiians, that, that, that they just have to do watch, watch and watch. So they've been through a number of months where they had to, to work extraordinarily long hours. But, but right now, um, up, uh, you know, up towards the Arctic, they, they've finally got a, enough men to, to work and fight the boat. Yeah. Ship. So by June the 13th, they're going through what Whittle describes as the Amphitrite uh, Strait. And I had to look that up because I couldn't find it on Google Maps or whatever. And uh, Tom Chaffin's book, 
Sea of Grey actually uh, notes that the Amphitrite Strait is actually the Bering Strait. This is an old name for that. And uh, Amphitrite, I believe, was the wife of Poseidon in mythology. Okay, okay. well, that's that's a very, very classical name for it. Yeah, yeah. So um, that's a 20-mile wide strait. It was quite foggy as they were going through it. And I, I, sorry, I can I can feel Mister Wood, you know, Captain Waddell's buttocks clenching as they go through the at the the, they abs- the whatever it was straight. Yes. They they absolutely did because um, there was fog for three days. They oh, were right. unable to do any observations. All of a sudden, the fog cleared, and they realised that land was about six miles away, and they had to back off. Uh, very quickly. Oh, were they were they on a leash or whatever? Yes, that, whatever and they was. had absolutely no idea where they were, and they were very scared of running into an uninhabited island because you know all they'd have is that booze to sustain them. <laughs> um, so that would have been quite terrifying, I think. Again, sailing uh, sailing through fog through a strait and not really being able to see where you're going. I, yeah, I, I, I can see that being a whole lot of no fun. So that, so that happened on the, on the 13th uh, mm-hmm. of, of June. Um, now, again, um, I'm, I'm going to do another quotation from Midshipman Mason's uh, diary, because um, this, this, is, this is giving a little, little, little snippet of life, life in the wardroom mm-hmm. um, on, a, on, a, on a Confederate raider, and I think this is... Uh, this is a very interesting uh, original source. Um, so a little. This is this is actually from um, the same entry uh, earlier from the eleventh of June. But um, a little affair took place in the steerage a few days ago, which I think is worth mentioning. Although Brown and myself mess in the wardroom, our quarters are in the steerage, so of course we are there a great deal. Mister Minor, of whom I have already spoke, is caterer of the steerage mess, and in that capacity tyrannises over his messmates and bullies the smaller men and those he knows to be cowards. Young Colton, a master's mate from Baltimore, who is by no means a coward, is the smallest member of the mess. He is Miner's roommate and he, Miner, bullies him on all occasions. Colton being foolish enough to allow it on this occasion, however, he could not stand the pressure. They were at supper at the time and Colton offered to fight Miner with swords. Whereupon they both jumped up and went for their toothpicks. But it was evident Miner was very much startled by the proposal, but he could not with any pretensions to manliness refuse after the insults he had heaped upon the head of the weaker party. So out they both came, naked swords in hand, and put themselves on guard after the most approved style. I don't think I ever saw a more absurd spectacle in my life, something of the order of the stories in Midshipman Easy. Here were these two fellows with their naked weapons crossed. One was scared and the other afraid. Miner, I think, was the less inclined of the two to have blood spilt. But the pith of the joke was that all hands of us seeming by common consent to acknowledge that there was no danger of blood being spilt, stood off and did not offer to interfere in the least, but left them to their own devices. After a few harmless demonstrations, they seized by mutual consent and a more foolish-looking couple I never saw. <laughs> so, again, they would have been going... They'd, they'd be waiting for people to say, no, no, don't do it, and to drag them away. And instead, everybody just, just went off and just went... Okay, so much with great interest, yes. Nothing happened. Well, so uh, 
That is such a uh, memorable event that Whittle does not describe it at all. <laughs> well, well, it was in steerage. He, he, yeah, so uh, hopefully Whittle would never have heard of it. I, I, think he'd, sure. I think he'd never heard of it because he, he didn't describe it. Um, but very interesting to see that there's uh, some bad blood going on, not just between the officers, but also uh, in the lower ranks as well. Well, I think I think so. I think steerage would be so. Okay, so these are people who've got swords. So they're they're they're, they're the mates and the I guess the equivalent of non-coms in, mm-hmm. um, in your in your sort of uh, your sort of real army. Now, uh, another interesting thing that's happened uh, about this time is. Uh, Whittle has arranged for what he describes here as the tween deck to be uh, cleared of coal, because I guess they'd probably burned a lot of it between now and when they'd set off, uh, to make room for prisoners. So he obviously thinks they're still going to find some some whalers at some point. So they now have a whole deck cleared that they think will make uh, very very good accommodation for prisoners. Um, it's sixteen hundred miles to the Bering Sea where these these whalers are, and uh, this week they've they've got about halfway there. Okay. So, Rob, uh, what is what's Mister Mason reading? Oh, moment? yes, we we've we got to our, our that by now semi regular occurrence, um, Midshipman Mason's book club. Well, um. Mr. Mason is reading a very obscure and work that, that I, I've never heard of. Yes. Um, it's, again, yeah, the title's in French, as so often with uh, Mr. Benjamin Mason. I'm deep into Les Miserables. Have you heard of a work called Les Miserables? I've heard of one called Les Mis. <laughs> Les Mis? Yes, yeah. I, well, actually, uh, no, it, it, it's not an obscure work. So um, I'm deep into uh, Les Miserables at present and find it a most interesting, moral, well-written and fascinating book. I am not halfway through yet, having read four volumes out of ten, but so far as I have gone, it has given me immense pleasure. Well, at least you can say about the film that there's not ten, ten parts to it. Cause... Oh, no, actually, I did feel there was, <laughs> I have to say. That, that, again, I have to say, I've, I've never seen uh, either the movie or, or the stage production of Les Mis, but I, I believe the, the you know, we, 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 we've done quite a lot of talking about bad Civil War beards. We dissed the false beards in, in the movie Gettysburg, yes, way back in episode way, way, way back, very early on. But I, I believe Les Miserables, as a movie, did the experiment of having actors who can't sing sing their own Well, roles. they didn't fake any beards, as far as I know, in that movie. But they also didn't fake the singing. So Russell Crowe was up there, unvarnished and on his own. And I think um, just like General Longstreet's beard in Gettysburg, that was a mistake. But, but didn't, didn't, didn't old Rusty used to front a band back in the old days called, called I believe, 30-odd foot feet of grunt? Yes, and Rusty is famous for being a movie star, not the lead singer <laughs> of his band. So I, I think this movie showed why. I, I actually quite enjoyed the film. And uh, no, no, you, you, you went to see it, I believe, um, with, with, with your mother. My mother very excitedly bought us um, tickets to Gold Class on its opening day, which was also, if you remember, the opening day of, I think, the final Lord of the Rings movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so I actually had to go and see both uh, both movies in, in one day. And um, 
Well, both of them, both of them had good parts, and and both of them had bad parts. I suppose you could say. Was yes. it the opening of the Hobbit? I, uh, I think it might that. have been the opening of the Hobbit, which turned out to be a lot less exciting than 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 we thought it was going to be. Yes. Yeah. So, I th- I, as I recall, you you were somewhat annoyed. That had a lot of false beards in it too, actually. Oh, and terrible false beards, terrible false beards in 4K. And at least Gettysburg, you couldn't see the false beards in, in, in 4K. Yes. Well, you know, so all three movies did, did interesting things. So we had Gettysburg using fiberglass beards, Les Mis using real singing, and uh, Peter Jackson decided to film The Hobbit on his home video camera. Well, that's <laughs> what it looked like. His, his $100,000 home video camera. Yes. Well, look, I, I think um, we are going to have um, some, some very exciting uh, weeks coming up. Um, just, you know, because looking a little bit ahead in the book. Um, so, yeah, spoilers. Um, they do actually find some whalers <laughs> and they find them soon. So I guess you can say that uh, Captain Waddell and Mr. Whittle were justified in their decision to turn around. Oh, uh, but... but... But did they check with Midshipman Mason? I, I think, really, you know, it's I, clear that obviously they didn't. I, I think that that you know, that obviously, you know, Waddell should be going down to the Midshipman's berth and saying, Midshipman Mason, what do you think we should be doing? And it's clearly a, a deep failure of his leadership that uh, that he didn't do that. But um, now, now, so we, we've we've left the Sea of Ockhots, and um, I might say that I'm going to endeavour never to say. Mind you, I think I've finally actually got to be able to say Sea of Ockhots, Sea of Ockhots. See if any of our Siberian listeners are listening, please let Rob know if he's saying it correctly. Well, well I, I might not be saying it correctly, but at least by now I'm, um, I'm, I'm saying it confidently. And we are on our way through the, the Bering Strait to the Arctic Circle. And I, I think that is going to be, uh, to be very exciting indeed. But um, and, until the uh, excitement continues next week, this has been a Shenandoah Down Under or Confederate Pirate Save the Whales with a Robin Mob, a Robert Love and Michael O'Brien. I'm Rob. And I'm Mob. Tally-ho till next week. Tally-ho and ahoy.